Good evening, everyone. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Are you happy to be alive and well? Praise God. Praise God. Had an awesome time this morning uh, on the prayer line. Uh, Spirit just took control. I was able to share a testimony of how uh, we can witness to others without us even knowing it. Uh, There was one time uh, somebody called my phone number. I didn't know who it was. And uh, at that time, my answering machine or my voicemail was, hello, this is John Coxum. Um, I'm not available right now. Would you please leave a message? And I just want to let you know that God loves you. Somebody called uh, my phone number. I didn't answer because I didn't know the number. And the guy left a message and he said, hello. And he said, son, I called your number by mistake. But I'm convinced that it wasn't a mistake. You have no idea what I was about to do, but what you said on the end of your voicemail made all the difference. Now, I have no idea what he was about to do. God knows he could have been contemplating suicide, taking his life, but just in that moment, my voicemail was a witness. (laughs) So I praise God for that. In any event, I just want to uh, remind you about the prayer line. It's 24 hours. We want everybody to call in. As well, we have these uh, prayer cards here. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. I ask uh, somebody to put one in your hand. But we want you to fill out this prayer list. A friend of mine has something that he calls an impossible prayer list. Puts people in his mind who he feels it's almost impossible for them to come to Christ and to be saved. We want you to put those people on this list. Pray for them, and we are going to lift them up on the prayer line. Is that right, Pastor? We're going to lift them up on the prayer line in our, in our, tonight and in our individual time uh, to see these people being saved. And we believe God can do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, without further ado, would you turn with me to Acts? Acts chapter 8. Well, they call this book the Acts of the Apostles, but truly, we should probably be calling it Acts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Holy Spirit is doing everything in the book of Acts. Everything. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Verse 4. Here's the word of God. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon. Who? Who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Verse 11. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip 
as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive what? The Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen on any of them. Then they had, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray about this thing. Father God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God, just for waking me up, giving me one more chance at life. I know it wasn't me, God. I know I didn't wake myself up this morning. I'm thankful, God, for your power in my life. And I pray, Lord, tonight as we just take a few moments, God, and just look at your word and pull out some truths that you have given me, God. I just pray that we will be blessed, God. And God, we will earnestly seek the baptism of your spirit. We love you, God. We thank you. As always, God, when it's all said and done, let no one remember the messenger. <laughs> Not even so much the message, God, but the master in the message. Bless us indeed. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The Bible tells us that during this time in the early church, a persecution had arisen against the believing Christians there. And up until this time, all of the believers in Jerusalem, all the believers were in Jerusalem because that's where the Holy Spirit had fallen. You remember Jesus telling his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Am I right about it? Until they received the Holy Spirit. But when persecution broke out against the church, the first Christians were scattered all over the land and all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so, ironically, the persecution actually caused the further spread of the gospel for the believers carried the good news of God into every land round about. Philip found himself in Samaria. There the Bible records that he did a great and awesome work there. He performed miracles. The brother cast out demons, caused the paralyzed and the lame to walk. And there was great joy in the city, the Bible says. But there was also a man named Simon there. Who did I say? Simon the magician, to be more correct. And before Philip came there, Simon was the best thing in Samaria since sliced bread. He practiced sorcery in the city, and evidently what he was doing was so potent and so wonderful and so powerful and so believable that he was able to make the least to the greatest believe in him. The poor and the rich. The foolish and the unlearned, as well as the intelligent and the wise, believed in Simon the magician. He bewitched them with his tricks 
and coerced them with his words, he led them to believe that he was someone great. The Bible says that the people believed that he was the great power of God. In fact, some people there even believe that he was God. And Simon did not deny it. Claimed to be the incarnation of divine power itself. Well, what was common then, brothers and sisters, <laughs> does not seem so far-fetched today. Wouldn't you know that we are actually living in dangerous times when men and women even today have no problem claiming divinity. Truth be told, the claims of Simon the magician are very well and alive on the earth. We have people today who will fall asleep and say that God took them to heaven for 15 minutes and sent them back to give us a word from the Lord. I've seen it. We have people who will make claim that they are prophets and God only speaks through them. In fact, in my own life, I was doing a three-week crusade. I was doing an evangelistic crusade and I was almost done. And out of the blue, this woman, woman just called me in the morning. And she said, Pastor Coxham. I said, yes, hello, how are you, sis? How are you doing? And she said, Pastor, I just want to let you know you probably didn't know this about me, but I'm a prophet. And God gave me a vision. And he told me to tell you that he wants you to stand in the pulpit in front of the church and rebuke them because they are not keeping God's health message. And I always wonder, why didn't God tell me that first? We have people like Benny Hinn, who feels as though he can heal anybody and anything and do anything he wants, who actually says that Jesus comes down from heaven and sits in his services to listen to him preach. We have people like the Pope, who claims to be the very vicar of God and has people from the least to the greatest following him. And it seems as though in Samaria, the people were obsessed with the signs and the miracles that Simon performed. They were awestruck by the fanciful stories that he told. But when Philip came to town, everybody believed the word of God about the kingdom of heaven. The people were attracted by Simon's wonders but they were won over by Philip's preaching. Y'all didn't get that. Let me say that again. The people were attracted by Simon's wonders and his tricks and his stories, but they were won over by the word of God. Simon probably advertised a lot and said a lot, and he was a gifted musician. But he could not deliver what God was able to bring through Philip. Simon didn't heal anybody or give them any hope. The Bible just says he astonished them. What he could do was little more than a firework show. Whereas Philip, through the power of God, was actually healing people and changing lives. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters, that... What we advertise 
is what we actually have. Can I say that again? I feel like taking my time. We have to be careful that what we advertise as Christians and as God's church is what we actually have. Believe you me, brothers and sisters, most people are not turned off by God per se. What most people are turned off by is the people who falsely advertise God. People who say they have God, but they really don't know him. People who claim to know God, but yet there is no love in their hearts. People who claim to worship God, but they really don't act like it outside of the church. Even Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. We as a church... We've got to be careful that we have what we are advertising. We advertise that this is the place where we come to meet God. Am I right about that? We advertise that this is the place where sinners are welcome. We advertise that this is the place where people can come and get readjusted and realigned and get fit for life. But sometimes, sometimes people come in and they may not find God at all. In fact, they may find everything but God. Problem is not God. People are diligently searching for God. The problem is sometimes they just don't find him in church where he's supposed to be. Even Voltaire, one of my favorite authors, he says that if corruption and disunity and a lack of love was done away with in the church, then there wouldn't be any reason for anybody to be an atheist. Y'all didn't catch that. If we didn't have so many problems in the church, and if we had love in the church, then nobody would be an atheist. People want God. They just don't find him in the church. Truth is tonight that People have less trouble with God and more trouble with the people who falsely advertise him. Well, even Simon believed Philip's preaching, even though he didn't understand everything yet. He recognized the genuineness of the message and was baptized by Philip. Well, the story goes that Peter and John came to town and laid hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit at that time. And the Bible says that when Simon saw this, he immediately took out his wallet and asked the apostles, how much would it cost for me to buy the Holy Spirit so I can do what you do? Look at verse 20. But Peter said to him, Simon, your money perish with you. Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. 
Now, for the longest time, I looked at this text, and I'm saying, geez, Peter, he made a mistake. The brother just got baptized last Sabbath. Give him a break. Peter uh, went in on him. It didn't seem like he knew any better. Why, why are you being poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity? What I discovered, though, is that Simon, like many people today, had an incorrect view of the Holy Spirit, but not only an incorrect view, a very dangerous view. Brothers and sisters, for the longest time when I thought about the Holy Spirit, I thought he was just some act or force of God that gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling down in my spirit when I thought about God. I had no concept of the Holy Spirit. I really was kind of like a Jehovah's Witness in which I thought that the Holy Spirit was just an active force of God. I really just thought that the Holy Spirit came just to make me feel good and to make me happy. I read this article the other day. Article was entitled, The Five Lies That Christians Believe. The first lie was that most Christians believe that church is not necessary at all. They take it to the extreme. They say, you know what? I know God. God loves me. I can have a relationship with, with him. I can stay in my house and read my Bible all day. I don't need church and I don't need fellowship. That was the first lie. The second lie was all that Christians need to do is be good and be nice. And then she said, this lie is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. He wants us to believe that if we just act in a certain way and keep up appearances, in other words, through good works apart from grace, that we will be okay. Then she says Satan wants to convince us that we are capable in our own strength to accomplish God's will, thereby rejecting the Holy Spirit. We ignore the Holy Spirit and all of his guidance and his power and his counsel, we treat the spirit as either insignificant to create change in our life or he's just simply irrelevant to us. We believe wrongly that we can make it happen, yet it is through the spirit that we are empowered by God's word. Well, the third lie was God doesn't care about your small things. In other words, we can pray to God and ask God for the big things in life when we are terminally ill or when we're on our deathbed or when we need a new car or a new job, we can't pay our bills. But at the end of the day, God is worried about every single facet of our lives. Line number four. She says, we believe that pastors or only those in leadership can lead. She says that we don't really believe in spiritual gifts anymore. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit can use any one of us to get the job done. She says the body of Christ is made up of ordinary people called to do an extraordinary work. Well, here's line number five, and here's the most important one that has to do with the Holy Spirit in my mind. She says the number one lie that most Christians believe is, drum roll please, God wants to make us happy. Y'all didn't like that. 
the number one lie that Christians believe is God wants to make us happy. Because happiness in scripture is usually mentioned in terms of a fleeting moment or a temporal earthly event. The scriptures, nor Christ, brothers and sisters, nor anywhere else in scripture for that matter, tell us that God wants us to be happy. Okay. He wants us to be a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. Some of those things are righteous, holy, godly, pure, sanctified, etc. But happy is not very high on God's list of priorities. Don't get me wrong. God does not want any of us downtrodden, depressed, or discouraged, beat up by life, sad and sorrow-filled. It's just that our idea of happiness is different from God's idea. I know somebody in the building is thinking, well, John, you know what? Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. However, brothers and sisters, there's a fundamental difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is because of. Joy is in spite of. Hmm. Happiness depends on my circumstances. That means if everything's going well in my life, my kids are acting all right, my dog is not acting a fool, uh, I still have my house, I got a good job, I got a good car, I'm happy. But joy is independent of my circumstances. It's in spite of what's going on in my life, I'll still praise God. No matter what happens, if I lose my car, I lose my job, I'm literally on my last leg and on my last nerve. I don't have any money. My kids are acting a fool. My dog ran away. I'll still praise God. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's joy. In spite of what you're going through, you can still say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the evil ones came to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Hmm. Happiness is because of. Joy is in spite of. God is more concerned, brothers and sisters, with our holiness rather than our happiness. We Americans, we tend to think more in terms of happiness and immediacy rather than joy and steadfastness. We want God to just rain down good feelings and good times. The truth is, however, that being happy and content in our daily lives, get this, is a byproduct of following Jesus with an obedient heart. But it is not the reason that we follow him. We give our life to him because his sacrifice demands a response. In turn, as we engage with him and we let the spirit lead, he offers us the abundant life, abundance in Christ. However, abundance in Christ is not synonymous with happiness. But the reward, 
Blessing, peace, and fruit, however, far outweigh our temporal sufferings. Somebody told me the other day, Christians have the best retirement plan in the world. In other words, God is after making us holy, brothers and sisters. And the Holy Spirit is the primary agent by which he chooses to do it. Now I understand why Peter was so harsh on my brother. Because the boy did not understand that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent by which God uses to make us more like him. And if we try to dumb down the spirit or simplify him or relegate him to an it rather than a person, then we're missing out on a vital part of our salvation. For without the spirit, it will be very hard for you to be saved, brothers and sisters. I appreciate the Spirit's work ethic, too. Holy Spirit wants, me, wants to make me as much like God as I possibly can be. Let me help you out, and I'm going to close. John 16, John 16. <clears throat> John 16 and verse 8, verse 8. Look at Jesus' words carefully. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. I'll read that one more time. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. I don't even need to read the rest of the verse, but anyway. And of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. Brothers and sisters, the first thing the Holy Spirit comes to do when he is invited into our lives is convict us of sin. Am I right about that? In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to expose us and point out the wrongdoings in our life. We cannot use the Spirit. He's not for that purpose. When he comes into our lives, he's shining the flashlight into every dark corner of our lives. John the Baptist said that Christ would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this could have two meanings for me. Either you could be talking about the fiery passion that we have for God when we know him and we accept him. We realize that his blood has cleansed us from sin. Uh, you know, we can say that we have a fire shut up in our bones and we want to tell other people about Jesus. What the other possible uh, definition could be that this fire could be a purifying fire fire of purification in that this fire of the Holy Spirit will purify us from sin baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire that completely renovates our hearts and changes our nature from death to life God has sent his spirit 
Not to make us happy, but to make us holy. He's not the happy spirit. And it's not happy hour. He's the Holy Spirit. And we're living in a holy hour. In the last days. Bible's trying to tell us that the Holy Spirit's primary job, brothers and sisters, is to convict us of sin and to point out every character defect and flaw that we have. Comes into our lives and immediately he begins to clean house. And even after we get the victory over one sin and one issue, he continues, my Lord, (laughs) pointing out more sin and more flaws that we didn't even know we had. Sister White, huh. mm. Sister White goes so far as to say, get this, that one sin, one sin sufficiently cherished will prove good enough to work our destruction. One sin so that we need the Holy Spirit to continually work on us. And even sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring us into situations that will reveal a side of us we did not even know. And don't get me wrong, brothers and sisters. Hey, but we need the Holy Spirit. Because we say we won't do certain things. And we say we won't say certain things. And we say we weren't go certain places. But why don't you go and talk to some people on death row? Some of them brothers said they would have never done what it takes to get them there. But you never know what you will do. Given the right time and the right circumstances around the right people, any of us are capable of anything. And if not for the Holy Spirit revealing to us ourselves. Some of us would be worse off today. Mm. Holy Spirit does not flatter us. He don't got time for that. Mm -mm. He's got a good work ethic. He does not applaud us or pat us on the back when we do good. When he comes into our lives, he comes to clean house. It's not his job to applaud us or make us feel good or even to make us happy. His job description includes convicting us of sin. Brother comes in and says, John, you're messed up. Wait a minute. I come to church every week. I pay my tithe. I'm in Sabbath school. Brother, but you have trash in your heart. Somebody rubs you the wrong way or pushes you the wrong way, you'll do something crazy to misrepresent God. Brothers and sisters, if we don't pray every day, there is no telling what we will do when we leave our homes. And the Bible says that he will lead us into all truth. My God. (laughs) All truth. I thought about one of the names that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. You know, he has many names, the paraclete in the Greek, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. But this one, the spirit of truth. That thing just stands out to me for some reason. 
Because I realize that truth is no respecter of persons. Holy Spirit comes and he's going to tell it like it is. You're a sinner and you're saved only by grace. Holy Spirit that calls us to our knees and calls us to pray even in times when we don't even know we need it. It is God. I say he's not the happy spirit. <laughs> he's the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Let's, let's read that again. Chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I'm almost done. Chapter 8. Hmm. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. You thought it could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. You know, I'd like to think that without the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, we, most of us, would probably think we were perfect already. We focus so much attention on the external and how we look each Sabbath, and we dress up real nice and got a Kool-Aid smile on our face, and we say happy Sabbath, but if not for the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. You know, the Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He's not interested in how well you're doing right now. That's not the point. The brother is trying to make us righteous and holy. So that when Jesus comes, he won't have any problem recognizing his people. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the seal of God, not the Sabbath. Oh, Lord. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance with God. In other words, in this time period, we're really just on layaway. <laughs> God's paying for us through his Holy Spirit anyway. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see, brother, that you are poisoned by bitterness. And you are bound by iniquity. The fact of the matter is, actually, Simon believed Philip, did he not? And the brother was already baptized. But Peter said, you are poisoned by bitterness. And you are bound by iniquity. Simon thought he was doing all right. Got baptized with one of the leaders in Samaria, Philip. He thought he was doing okay. He thought he was already saved. But Peter pointed out to him, brother, you need to repent of your wickedness. You don't understand what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Well, thank God for grace. <laughs> Verse 24 says that then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me, please, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. <laughs> well, we don't know the rest of the story, but I want to believe Peter was a good man, prayed for the brother and he got restored. And brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with this very small but important point. When you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, brothers and sisters, do not resist and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
For when he pulls on our hearts, we come up with every reason. You know what? I'm doing so well right now. I'm doing all of this, God. Look at me. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But the truth is the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into all truth. How much truth? It's not trying to get us just to accept the Sabbath day. That's good. It's not just trying to get us to pay time. The brother wants us to be so in love with Jesus. And so in, and in such communion with him that our likes become God's likes. And God, whatever God hates becomes the things that we hate. And so when the judgment is set, God looks at us. He no longer sees us. But in fact, he sees Christ. And believe you me, none of us will be saved unless the character of Christ is perfected inside of all of us. Just as Mary, as Jesus was uh, conceived in the womb of Mary, the Bible lets us know that the Holy Spirit was sent to conceive Christ inside of us. In other words, Christ is reincarnated inside of our hearts. So without us even trying, brothers and sisters, we become more like him each and every day. The words that we speak and the actions that we take are more and more like Christ. But it must start from repentance. Holy Spirit is very important, is he not? I would not trifle with him anymore. I would not play with him. I respect his work way too much. There was a story of an airplane pilot who was flying a plane. And as he was, you know, flying, he saw some clouds building up, and he heard the people at the control booth telling him, uh, buddy, you need to turn around. Uh, there is a storm brewing on the horizon. He said, no, no, I've flown this way a million times. I can do it. Radioed in again and said, man, it looks like it's getting pretty big. Um, we would suggest that you turn around and go the opposite the way. He said, no, 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 I, 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 I can do it. It's all right. Kept on going, kept on flying. And as he kept on going, he kept on going, he kept on going, he kept on going through the storm. And now he was in the middle of the storm. He could no longer hear the voice of the control booth, lost his directions, and he died. Kind of resembles the Holy Spirit to me. That he directs us and he leads us and he tells us where to go. He tells us what faults we have in our lives, no matter how, in comparison, how much good we are doing. But if we grieve the Holy Spirit over and over again, one day he will cease to speak to us. The third part of the Godhead will stop pleading with us. He will have done all he could do to try and save us. Brothers and sisters, I think this text reminds us of the importance of the Holy Spirit. And I think it is in our best interest to plead and to pray for the Holy Spirit and his baptism each and every day. 
For we do not know the time of our Savior's coming. And when he comes, I don't want to be found in wanting. I want to be found holy. Not interested in being a happy Christian. That's all well and good. I'd rather have joy, though, and I'd rather have the Holy Spirit in my life, which seals me unto the day of redemption. Do you agree with that tonight? Let's pray about this thing. I'm done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. We don't need any more words, God. We don't need any more programs or schedules, God. (laughs) Lord, if we just had the full measure of your Holy Spirit in our lives, we'd be all right. I'm asking, God, that you continually lead us and guide us, God. Help us not to take for granted the Holy Spirit like Simon did, God. Help us to respect his work, to listen to his pleading in our lives, God. Lord, we have so much junk, God, so much trash in our hearts that we don't even know about. And at a moment's notice, we could be in danger of demon possession or losing our salvation. Help us to respect his work, oh God. Listen to his pleading in our lives. Help us to focus more on being holy rather than being happy. I'm asking God that every person here today that believes in you be baptized tonight, God, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're asking for Pentecost. We ain't playing with this thing, God. We're not just in the 40 for fruit because it sounds good. It's a good and catchy title. The logo looks good. God, we want your Holy Spirit. Because we realize we can't be saved without it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Touch every heart in this place, reminding them and revealing to them who they really are, God. Apart from their names, apart what everybody thinks they are and what they're portraying externally. God, reveal to them like a mirror that does not lie who they really are. So that, God, you can begin the process of healing in their lives. We need you, Father. We plead you, Father. And we love you, precious Savior. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work. Oftentimes, we (laughs) treat you like the illegitimate stepchild of a Godhead, God. But we thank you for your work. Thank you for pleading with me, God. Thank you, God, even though I ran from you for so long, God. You just stayed after me like the hound of heaven, God. You chased me down. Now, Lord, I have no desire to turn back. Be with us tonight, O Lord. Commit ourselves to you all over again. We love you. We thank you. Forgive us of sins and shortcomings. Forgive us from where we have fallen short. We'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Above all these things, Lord, if you never do another thing in our lives, Lord, we don't want to gain the whole world and lose our soul. If you never do another thing, when you come, God, save us. Take us with you back to glory. We 
love you tonight. Precious and worthy name of Jesus, we do pray that all those who believe in God, who trust his Holy Spirit, say amen, amen, and amen.